Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm John. And I'm Kevin. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. We're going to get down into the nitty gritty and examine the good, the bad, the ugly, and the laughable in these movies. But we're always coming from a place of love. You don't watch these movies as much as we have unless you have a genuine affection for them. Hey, 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 welcome back. Hey, everybody. How's it going? We I'm sorry, I never, well. it's always a bad idea to ask how's it going to a podcast audience. <laughs> Can you hear us? Just shout out in your how's car. It going? How's it going, John? I'm good. My arm's a little sore. Um, I received my second uh, team Pfizer vaccination yesterday. Rad. So uh, I'm feeling um, just, just a little bit of arm soreness, but I'll tell you who else could talk about their Pfizer vaccine. And that's my friend, Andrew Miller, who's joining us again for the podcast tonight. Hey, I am super excited to be back. I also got um, Pfizer number two in my arm yesterday. Um, How do you feel? I, am, I, I felt all right. Like it didn't bother me too bad. I'm counting down the days to like be outside. My wife and yeah. I have a, like a list of things that we want to do that are normal, like <laughs> go to baseball games or eat at Chewy's or... Yeah. Any number of things that are just like regular happenstance that we've put off for a year plus now. Yeah, for, I've, got, for, <laughs> I've got Pfizer Part Two scheduled next week, guys. There you go. Awesome. We'll all be we'll all be entering the world again around the same time. Um, well, we're excited to have you with us, Andrew, and we're very excited to dive into um, dive into the well of Arnold, <laughs> as we love to do uh, for this next series for 1993's. Last Action Hero. <laughs> this is awesome. This is a cult action movie of of cult action movies. Like it, it really is. <laughs> yeah, this one was even. I mean, I, I was aware that it came out, but all I knew about it was that it was a tremendous bomb when it came out, right. and I never saw it until the last year or so. It's probably a pandemic viewing, and I was like blown away by how audacious it is. Like, there's moments of genius. What made you decide to? pick it up and watch it during the pandemic i think it was streaming somewhere for free and i was like i've never seen that and i'm doing this podcast and i feel like i ought to have seen everything that arnold's done and i'm really glad i um i'm really glad i watched it like really glad (laughs) i don't know how i lived without this i didn't know i needed (laughs) i didn't know i needed it until i watched it you know we've we've talked a little bit not at great length and i'm sure we will in the over the course of these episodes, but talking about how, um, yeah, for as much as this movie was shat on by uh, critics at the time, that it's it's aged a lot better than a lot of people, I think, would give it credit for. And it's not 
that terrible. I mean, we have definitely talked about some much, much shittier movies on this podcast. <laughs> it's got more redeeming qualities than a yeah. lot of movies that we've talked about for sure. You know, rewatching it to, to join the podcast with you guys, it reminded me of some of the better executed versions of this, of the like parody uh, homage, like Galaxy mm-hmm. Quest or Shaun yeah. of the Dead or Hot Fuzz, where they're they're quite literally movies of another genre or like um, series. They belong yeah. in that like thing, but they are in some ways equal parts making fun of, but adoring lots of them. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot like y'all's podcast where, um, you know, they, they love these things, but they also see the holes in them. And so they try to poke all those holes um, <laughs> yeah, for absolutely. comedic effect. And I feel like, <laughs> This one, this one to me doesn't do that as well as those later movies do, but like, it seems pretty early on to be, um, giving you the meta comedy like some of those others did. Yeah. I think it was ahead of its time. Yeah. That's, I remember you telling me that when we were first talking about doing this movie, you're like, what do you think about last action here? And I was like, I'm sort of ambivalent about it. And you're like, I think it's ahead of its time. And so now having gone back and seen it again, I'm like, yo, oh yeah, definitely. This had come out 20 years later, like in people with people who knew how to do this right yeah. like there's room for a remake on this on this one for sure i think it could be done right with like the rock or somebody perhaps no. who can like lampoon yeah. themselves with arnold with arnold Arnold's, still sure arnold could arnold could show up to the movie pre- premiere at the end he could it, be it, like vivaldi <laughs> he could be <laughs> oh the, the old crime boss Ooh. that'd be amazing um so before we get into the uh the in-depth the deep dive into like how the hell this thing got made at the time we'll give a quick rundown on cast um of course we have arnold schwarzenegger playing himself and um action movie star jack slater now it's a jack slater movie so yeah he's he's playing himself playing a character named jack slater that's see it's it's confusing already <laughs> yeah well he is jack slater for half the time like right. that he's not aware of the existence of arnold schwarzenegger Jack Slater doesn't know. So as an avid follower, as an avid follower of y'all's podcast, I've been very much enjoying the idea of the shared universe of Arnold clones. Um, (laughs) Whether that's from Predator, Commando, Twins, I feel like Jack Slater could be another one. Um, Okay. 100%. And if you like, if you like live in that universe. I felt like Jack Slater is yet another of the Arnold clones, which is why he has all the same lines and he has all the same ideas, but maybe Ooh. he's like the copy of the copy, like in multiplicity where they just uh, like, fuck, they kind of fucked it up a, a bit. That's a quality film. That's a quality <laughs> film. Um, I, I didn't think about the fact that that makes all the recycling of the lines pay off. Cause they're just sort of like hardwired into the head of, of the clones. Well, that's the, and I don't know if either of the two of you when in your research fell, uh, fell on this AV club article about this movie No, and the guy that wrote it was talking about Arnold specifically. And he was like, the conceit of Arnold is that his appeal lies in his unbelievability. He's incapable. <laughs> he's incapable of disappearing into a role. Instead of becoming the character, the character becomes him. So in like all of these movies, it's like you're not watching a character. You're watching Arnold. You never forget that you're watching Arnold. Exactly. Well, I I think it's super like perfectly illustrated in Arnold's portrayal of Hamlet. Like that's exactly what it would be like (laughs) if Arnold tried to take on the role of Hamlet. 
like it wouldn't be that he became Hamlet. Hamlet would become Arnold, and then that's what, that's what we would get. We'll get so there I, later, but I right. think the, the screenplay was written with Arnold in mind clearly because in the I think in this in the original screenplay the character's name is Arnold, right? Like Arnold Arno, Slater, Arno Slater, Arno yeah. Slater. But could is there anyone else who at the time in '93 could have done this, like a whatever Mel Gibson or a or a Bruce Willis or somebody? I think it had to be even the the title of the thing is like they've got to be the biggest they would have to be the biggest action star. I like Bruce Willis does have it. the comedy chops to maybe yeah sell it a little bit better. Totally. But it, Arnold Ar- is like he, but Arnold is the icon. Yeah, I he is. And is anybody else confident enough to point out the silliness of their own body of work? I feel like right. Bruce Willis would have done it. Like a Stallone never. Yeah. There was, did you, uh, I sent you John, the New York times article where they did, they described, uh, Stallone as being heavy handed and had failed in everything he'd ever done except Rocky and Rambo films. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, it's, that's harsh they're, though. They're not wrong. <laughs> they're kind of, they weren't wrong at that time, especially. Nope. nope. They're not wrong. Um, <laughs> So the rest of this cast list is kind of awesome. Um, playing young uh, Danny Madigan, Austin O'Brien. I don't remember him from anything else, really. Um, he was apparently like the the male lead in My Girl 2, which I never saw. I never saw. Is that and a he was apparently video? a child in Apollo 13 as well. And I'm huh. like, oh, he was like a... Okay. And he was a some character in Lawnmower Man, which I think I've seen once, but not twice. Yeah, I haven't either. Mm. Um, then the rest of the cast list is amazing. Um, yes. Charles Dance, Tywin Lannister himself, <laughs> playing playing the vile henchman Benedict, who just is awesome in this. Um, he is amazing. I think he might be like the brightest spot in the film. Yeah, yeah, hands down for me, he is. Um, especially, well, you'll talk more about it, so I won't, I won't give it away now. Um, also <laughs> in this movie, Oscar winner F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> yep. Um, Amazing. Oscar, Oscar winner Art Carney. <laughs> yes. Oscar winner Mercedes Rule. Uh, Oscar winner, Oscar, Oscar winner, Oscar <laughs> winner Anthony Quinn. And then uh-huh. uh, Tom Noonan, uh, who was, a, 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 I guess, friends with or good close working relationship with uh, Shane Black. Okay. And then, and then Robert Prosky rounding out the cast as Nick, the, yeah. uh, the sort of the mystical projectionist at the, <laughs> at the movie theater. You've, you've left one out making her film debut. Oh, that's right. Uh, Bridget shit, Wilson. Yeah. 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 Playing, Mrs. playing Pete Meredith, Sampras now. Playing Meredith Caprice. I didn't realize yeah. she was married to Pete Sampras. That's awesome. They, They've been together a long, long time. Yeah. And cameos galore. Yeah, just, I mean, I I just started wondering if they were, the studio was like calling around being like, hey, does Jim Belushi want to be in this? Hey. I think it was Arnold so calling in every favor, like with That's all of his awesome. friends that he'd ever worked with. Which of you is invested in Planet Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> Silent partners. <laughs> it is That's... strange that Stallone didn't actually appear. Yeah, I'm, I would not, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. But they were business partners. Well, I guess Bruce Willis didn't show up either. Yeah. Interesting. I think, anyway. interesting. I think for me, Anthony Quinn is the craziest one because that that is an actor <laughs> who was in Lawrence of Arabia and the Guns of Navarone. Like, yeah, it's as yeah. silly as Alec Guinness ending up in Star Wars after a decorated career. And then he's like a silly wizard in yeah, Star Wars. <laughs> it's like, George, I don't understand this. 
I don't <laughs> understand that, but, <laughs> but I will take- say a true professional, Quinn, as well as Alec Guinness, like they showed up and they yeah. they acted their heart out. Yeah, they did. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to leave the writing for last. I'm going to talk about the directed by Hollywood action uh, royalty, John McTiernan. Yeah. Who we've talked about um, a lot on the podcast, Die Hard, Predator, Hunt for Red October. Followed this up with Die Hard with a Vengeance. He also uh, produced this movie along with Arnold. Um, music by Michael Kamen. Yes. Who's composed for things we've talked about, including Die Hard. Um, he did Lethal Weapon Action Jackson. Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, and he's an really, amazing, he's an amazing composer. He's really good at coming up with like, like that epic action movie score. Like it's adventure just like, it themes. Just, it just like ramps yeah. everything up to the next level. Awesome. And, uh, and then, and then Kevin, I'll turn it over to you now so that you can give us the rundown on this writing. <laughs> so in the credits, right. The, the written by credit goes to Shane Black and David Arnott. Who Shane Black, you may know, cause he's like, the God of action scripts. He had written lethal weapon when he was 22 years old. Um, then he followed that up with last boy scout, which is a great long kiss. Good night, which we've talked about. Also awesome. Um, the, the story Kevin came from a uh, couple of other like 20 somethings named Zach Penn and uh, Adam left. Zach Penn's gone on to write some high profile stuff. Like he wrote right. behind enemy lines, which I think you're, <laughs> A fan of John. I really I liked that movie. That was my first exposure yeah. to, um, or maybe not my first exposure because my first exposure to Owen Wilson would have been in the, uh, uh, like the Royal Tannenbaums and Bottle Rocket and things like the Wes sure. Anderson movies. So, but then seeing him in that movie, I was like, this works. It's fine. Plus, <laughs> I like Gene Hagman. Yeah. But he also wrote Ready Player One. He's written like a bunch of comic book movies. So it's cool that he's still working a lot. Um, totally. It also had rewrites. By William Goldman, who wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, wrote All the President's Men, wrote The Princess Bride and Misery screenplays. He's awesome. He he didn't want credit, I think, on it. And Carrie Fisher did a bunch of rewrites. Oh, I, I think she wrote that. all the mother and son scenes, apparently, were written by Carrie Fisher. That's that, awesome. That was one of the most interesting things I think I read about during her kind of obituary period after her unfortunate passing was how much Hollywood relied on Carrie Fisher to write realistic dialogue. Um, yeah. After like the plot and everything was done, she was like the fixer for so many films, mm-hmm. which That's awesome. just impressed me to no end. But so the story goes like this, that the script that the, <laughs> the script that the young kids had written was getting passed around Hollywood as like a hot commodity. Like everyone recognized, I think that it was a good concept, right? But like, how do we execute this? Um, like the, in the, in the original draft, the premise was that there was this tough, troubled sort of streetwise teen that stumbles through the screen and winds up in an action movie with his favorite star, but he knows he's in a movie. So he's sort of like a smart ass, uh, irreverent, like meta critiquing of the genre as the story unfolds. And it was very violent and R rated. So Sony bought the script, hoping that they could Lan Schwarzenegger, who had just done Terminator 2. I think this was his first movie out after Terminator 2. Right. Um, Sony was desperate for a blockbuster. They wanted something that could be a franchise. Like the closest thing they had to a franchise was Ghostbusters. Um, 
So the, the people at Sony, they met with Arnold at his very unpopular bratwurst restaurant in Santa Monica. <laughs> and Arnold, Arnold loved the idea, and he, he, but he wanted to turn it into a family movie. If they right. could like soften it up to be a PG-13. Um, it checked all the boxes like of what he was looking for, which was to do something with action, but also for the family and also they could film in Los Angeles so he could stay close to home or whatever. Um, but this is he before also after he started banging the nanny, I think, well, I don't know when they started banging, but before <laughs> the, but before the illegitimate son was born, yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to leave that nanny. <laughs> he didn't, yeah, I was say, he didn't need to rehabilitate an image at that point yet. He just wanted no, to do something no. family oriented. Apparently he didn't get caught with that until the kid was like, I don't know, yeah, 12 like or something yeah. like that. When the kid started to look like Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> when he was Danny Madigan's age. When he was buff, like that little, like young uh, buff kid. You know? <laughs> Whatever was going on with that little kid. Anyway, <laughs> so Arnold thought the script was, was kind of amateurish, which it was having read it myself recently. Um, okay. And he wanted it to be like polished up. So Sony was willing to like pump as much money into crafting the script into exactly whatever would get Arnold to sign. That's that, amazing. Uh, they went out, they paid a million bucks to Shane Black, uh, who I think gave a quarter million to his friend, David Arnott to, to rewrite the thing. They made it like a lot more cartoonish and wacky. They added a lot more like fart jokes and, and whatever else they changed the plot of the movie within the movie to make the, to make that a lot more silly. Um, and I think they dumbed it down to like a PG 13, but okay. they sort of, yeah. So Arnold liked the changes, but then felt whatever that it didn't, it wasn't family friendly enough or didn't have like h- enough heart. It didn't to have it. enough heart. Of course. Mm. <laughs> so Ar- Arnold demanded that they bring in William Goldman, who I also learned had rewritten twins for mm. him. Oh, I, I, that I do remember that part. I do remember. So I Goldman. guess he trusted Goldman. Yeah. to whatever to make his character well i mean i imagine he came in and like wrote all the good family stuff that we saw in twins like, like the brothers loving each other yeah, the heartfelt exactly. moments right um so goldman i think got paid some ridiculous sum seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to work on Jesus. it for one month uh that's sweet so that's awesome he had, he turned the nick like the projectionist character into this friendly old man because originally he was like the villain in the script. That would have been a cool turn. Like that he was sort of a, I don't know, an evil sorcerer or, or perhaps the devil himself. <laughs> we'll, t- <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Interesting. It's, it's very strange. He also made Danny 11 years old and kind of dorky instead of 15 and, and street wise because Arnold didn't want it to have another like John Connor sort of okay. dynamic. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. Arnold, yeah. at least Arnold had a, had a good idea of something that on paper sounds like it should have worked. I guess so. There are a whole lot of pieces that should have worked. But you end up changing the thing so much that it's not, it loses what was original yeah. and good about it in yeah. the first place. But, um, and then they brought Carrie Fisher in to sort of rewrite the mother-son scenes, as we just mentioned. So okay, that was the, it went through a lot of hands. I think there were even other rewrites by other people that, that, we could go on all night about, but I'd rather not. <laughs> I feel like that is on display. Like that explains a lot to me about like different elements of this movie feeling like they belong in other movies. 
and like a lot of storylines that get set up and then never get paid off later and yeah just weird or why so many movie elements that are unrelated and directly taken from other movies end up in the world of jack's in the movie world of jack slater when they shouldn't like right uh, you know some of the cameo is like what that doesn't make sense but whatever we'll get there (laughs) um and i guess i guess we should get to the the movie (laughs) there's an actual movie to talk about (laughs) okay so uh yeah, the plot opens. There's like a police standoff underway at an elementary school. Cops everywhere. Um, so many police. So many. Like every policeman in the city is there. And it's weird. Like the screen sort of whips into frame almost or the frame whips onto the screen. Like it yeah. has a weird open and there's a crazy like we call it a Dutch tilt, a weird camera yeah. angle, like a yeah. tilted camera. It feels like surreal, I guess, which I think was probably the point. Um, but yeah, the police ridiculously heavily armed. We got Lieutenant Decker there referencing the fact that it's Christmas. Uh, right. That's played by Frank McRae, who's just got like an amazing presence always. He was in a bunch of stuff that I remember from the 80s and that I really liked him in. Like I, yeah. bit, bit parts he was in. Like he was in a Red Dawn. Do you guys remember Batteries Not Included? No, I, I don't remember not, that. One. I haven't seen it lately, but I remember it. It's yeah. like about alien robots, and he plays like the the mute um, uh, janitor or superintendent, or like I can't even remember. Maybe he was just a tenant of the building. But is then, he a combination janitor and superintendent of the school, or maybe, maybe, no, not, not <laughs> like super of a building, not superintendent. <laughs> and then, uh, and then he was also in The Wizard. Do you guys remember that movie with Fred yes. Savage? Yeah. yeah. Oh hell yeah! Small and, small and Jenny and Jenny Lewis from Rilo Kiley. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He was in he was in License to Kill, a Bond movie. Ooh, yep. As well, he was in Lock Up, a really bad Stallone in prison film. Um, he was Rocky's boss in Rocky Two, oh, like at the meatpacking right. yeah, plant. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And he was the uh, he was basically playing this same exact character in Forty Eight Hours, <laughs> like yelling at uh, Nick Nolte all yeah. the time. But anyway, we got an there's an unseen gunman like opening fire from the roof, shooting up the police cars below. Then we hear a voice off screen. I got a present for you and like tosses a body off the roof, a SWAT team guy or whatever, like an right. obvious dummy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's obviously like a fake. I mean, it obviously wouldn't be a real body, but I mean, it's, it's a fake yeah. looking dummy. <laughs> I think we almost have to assume that anything in the movie that's super corny or amateurish, do we have to assume that it was intentionally that it way? Because be that these way? movies because the movies are is lampooning a corny movie. Yeah. I don't know, but I, it happens I, a lot. We we talk all the time about like in Commando for instance, how they've got like dummies staked into the ground during explosions <laughs> and things. Uh-huh. And it's like it's obviously a, a fake. It's yeah. not a real body. And so like I, yeah, from Cuz they could have had a stuntman go off the roof. I think they yeah. chose to have it be a bad dummy. Well, and I felt like by the time in 93, like they were trying to show like a movie within a movie would have like an extra layer of kind of cheese on top of it so that you yeah, would know, yes. um, you know, you think about like characters, you know, being in a play within a play or movie within a movie kind of thing. And they like amp it up another level just so you recognize that they are acting within acting. Um, they got to so overact. Always, yeah, they got to I always felt like it was something 11. like that. Like, you know, would the audience in the movie that we're watching know that the movie that they're watching had a dummy in it? Right. No, I don't know. 
I always thought it was like just that kind of thing. Decker is screaming for the Ripper to let the children go. Then the, the badass music swells up and uh, our hero, Jack Slater, comes walking in across the roofs of the police cars. It's like that fucking epic, larger than life entrance puffing on that cigar. Always. Again, parodying himself. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, it's a ridiculous entrance. He's got like the wardrobe is iconic. The the belt buckle with like a, just a pistol on the belt buckle. I I would pause says, the Blu-ray. It says, it says marksmanship Slater. Is that what it yeah. says? <laughs> yes, <laughs> he won. He won. He must have won an accuracy contest. Oh my god! At the, at the precinct, um, Decker is unhappy to see Jack. You know, he says last time, whatever. The last time this happened, it didn't end well. And if he goes in this time, it's his badge. You know, all the the cliched shit. Yep. Um. We can barely understand what Decker is saying, right? Yeah that that whole that whole bit throughout the movie is amazing, and if you watch yeah. the movie with the subtitles on, it's it's really it's a rewarding <laughs> experience. Ah. Though, did it also did it grind your gears, Andrew? Like how bad the audio mix was on the movie? Like, there's a lot of dialogue that needed to be looped and wasn't. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, it was, uh, you know, I was listening through headphones, um, which already kind of like it changes the experience because you've got a definitive like this is in my left ear this is in my right and it was it was real irritating so finally i just pulled them out and watched it on my laptop (laughs) with the worst quality audio i could get just to like neutralize it and so it would be like tolerable i can say it it is really bad how how badly how badly done it is i think it's a product of how rushed the production was which will definitely explore at length at some point here now may tina turner pops out <laughs> she's the mayor of barter town it's just yep. as ludicrous <laughs> as when she showed up in a thunderdome <laughs> except this almost isn't a cameo because it's not like i think she's meant she's playing a character she just had the, yeah. the one or two lines and that was yeah. it um it was so good she says you know we've had our disagreements but she's urging jack to stop she introduces the lieutenant governor for some reason jack punches the dude it says when the governor gets here, call me. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I did like, too. It's very funny. There's something gratifying about a punching an elected official. I guess. Yes. <laughs> the second uh, best elected official. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so Decker, he radios ahead to the SWAT guys telling him not to let Jack enter the school. And uh SWAT dude says, no problem. Whatever turns around Arnold. Oh, sorry. This is going to be a lot of mistaking, but Jack <laughs> is standing fine. there. Hey, want to yeah. be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. Kicks him in the balls. That's <laughs> terrible. Uh, Terr- it is. <laughs> but again, is this is this like one of the first times that we can just accept that they were they were not trying to write no, great dialogue? I think, I don't think. Mm-hmm. they're yeah. trying to write shit. I think dialogue. this was Shane Black on like unloading every bad pun that he had that he could never get away with in a in a serious Agreed. movie. Um, but the problem or one of many problems is it's not clear yet that this is meant to not be taken seriously. Right. Exactly. So I yeah. think if you were just sitting down <laughs> watching the movie, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? What am I watching? This it's is garbage. terrible. Yeah. Starting with the cold open here was a bold, but probably mistaken choice. Well, the big problem to me is the advertising for the film. Like I went back and watched the trailers and like, they didn't, they didn't inform the audience of what this was going to be. 
Yeah. The the trailers look like movie fan pops into the movie and it's the going to be the adventure of the summer for 1993. They don't point out like right. He pops in and we're lambasting this genre. So I think as a person who came in expecting to see a good Arnold movie, you're like getting pissed off. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> oh, no, acres. That's that's bizarre. Um, anyway, yeah, the kick is. like lifts the SWAT guy up into the air like he goes flying. That's a feat of strength. <laughs> sure. Right? That's a feat yeah, of strength. You bet it is. Yeah. Imagine getting kicked in the junk so hard that it lifts so you off hard. the ground. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He yeah. mumbles. He mumbles something to Decker. Arnold does. He he says he like catches the dude's uh-huh. walkie talkie as it's flying back in midair. And he tells Decker, he says, I'll hurt the next guy. <laughs> then he crushes the walkie talkie in his hand. And I feel like you hear like Decker screaming in pain as the walkie talkie is being <laughs> yes. crushed, which is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very uh, funny. Jackie goes in the school. He kicks down the door, walks out onto the roof. We got the Ripper with a bunch of child hostages, including Jack's son, Andy. So I didn't realize until after I'd gone back and done research for this, that like that I recognized Tom Noonan, not only for his amazing TV work, but that he was Frankenstein's monster in monster squad. With oh, Shane Black sweet. Wrote. He was the first, um, he was so the tooth have- fairy in, in Manhunter, the Michael Mann, uh, oh. animal Lecter movie. Oh yeah, that's right. That's I recognize right. him as Kane from RoboCop two badass yes um, the drug lord yeah guy. he's the drug lord that gets turned into the like cgi robocop that has like a tv face <laughs> that's awesome it's been a long time since i've seen robocop 2 I, I feel like i blocked it's it as out. bad as you would imagine yeah dude is under <laughs> like a lot of makeup and let's just say the ripper he looks like absolute shit <laughs> i mean he, that the dental prosthetic work is unreal the way like how like animalistic, yeah. like terrifying. Yeah. They made his mouth. Newton is working hard, like to give a performance underneath all this shit. His, his get up is wild. And, and I want to see if you agree with me that it's sort of a, it's sort of a, it's an homage to Bennett's get up in yes. commando with his like chain mail yes, shirt. Except this was real chain mail, not just a, like a, not yeah, just a macrame sweater. But yes, I think it is. I think it has to be that he's meant to look like Bennett. So one of the things as an adult, like I never questioned this watching it uh, as a child, but as an adult, I was thinking, okay, this is the climax of this movie. How the fuck do we get to this point? Like (laughs) what, what is the lead up of a two hour film that brings us to Slater showing up kind of crazily at the like, hostage scene and then like <laughs> why is he holding the school hostage like it's like a weird like i started asking myself weird. that question about these jack slater movies and i i really should have stopped and, and <laughs> we do feel but, like this is the climax of the film it's not the yeah. open of the film right no, it's got to be the close right okay i think so i i always have felt that this must be the climax of of whatever jack slater three it's sort of like um bennett chasing jenny through the catacombs of Val Verde yeah. <laughs> like her the island off the coast of uh, California well, the, like it's, it's gotta weird. be a send up of all of those movies right like any movie where yeah. the bad guys got the hero's kid um, yeah. which happens yeah. in 25% of action movies minimum the the Ripper is like taunting Jack who apparently put, had put the Ripper behind bars previously uh, 
Jack is telling him he should have got the death penalty. And Ripper says he would have if Jack hadn't performed an illegal search to find that bloody axe. It's like a lot of exposition. But I think that's meant to be the corny right. exposition, right? Right. You know, <laughs> watching that that line also like stood out to me this time of like they're calling out every failure of these movies. Like you watch any policing movie, any of these kinds of things in there. They throw out every rule of good policing. Like none of these, th- like yeah. the movie ends before they have to go to court and fill out all the paperwork about all that <laughs> they've done and like then get lawyers involved in all these things. And so like all of these criminals, that's why none of Batman's character, like all the bad guys in Batman just keep coming back is because he's vigilante attacked them. And now they're back in the streets because right. there's no legal press, like no legal rules there's no due, there's process. No due process for the Joker. <laughs> so they just have to keep letting him no. go. Cause they're like, damn it. Stop giving yeah. us this evidence. Do we agree that when we, when there's an obvious flaw in Jack Slater world plot, we can chalk that up to being intentional. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I like that because otherwise we'll be here all night. (laughs) Uh, So Ripper tells Jack to drop his gun, which he does. Then Ripper's skeptical that Jack's only got the one gun and he produces like at least a half a dozen more weapons. from. It's a comical number of weapons. I counted. It's one knife, six handguns, and then the last (laughs) crucial element which I imagine you're going to go into next. (laughs) The hand grenade. It's It's a pretty funny gag. I think watching the film, you'd have to recognize, wait a second, this is supposed to be funny, like a whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. He takes this grenade out. He pulls the pin. He tosses it to the Ripper and uh, the Ripper, you know, doubts he's skeptical that it's real. Uh, (laughs) He tells Andy to pick it up. The grenade is like some type of modified switchblade. I guess a blade pops out of it. Andy stabs Ripper in the leg. So did, are we, are we to presume that Jack Slater has trained his son and that he knows that like what that thing is. If you had a Griblade, would you not, <laughs> would you not throw it to your, like show it to your child and be like, check this out. Oh, totally. I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm guessing the kid knew like there was a secret yeah. button or something yeah. on it. We go on, we go into the backyard and throw the Griblade. <laughs> uh, the Ripper, he hurls his ax at a diving Jack Slater. And, and then the film goes out of focus, cut to the real world. Right. Where in New York City, 11-year-old movie buff Danny Madigan is skipping school to watch Jack Slater 3, the third installment of like his favorite franchise, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yay. When yeah. the movie goes out of focus, he's yelling at the projectionist to fix it. Uh, no one else who's there in the theater seems to notice or care. They're all homeless. It's like there's bums sleeping in there. They're <laughs> sleeping in there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a rainy day outside, as we'll find. That theater is spectacular, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Is it gorgeous. really is a movie palace. And I was just, I was just sitting there hoping beyond hope that like with, you know, all of the collateral damage of the pandemic, I was like, I hope that this is not a too prescient a vision for the direction of movie theaters oh. in general in the near future. You may be closer to the mark with that than you would have liked to have been. That's uh, very true. Well, the, the era <laughs> of there being a, a palace like this, like the Fox theater yeah. in Atlanta, which shows movies sometimes. Yeah. But, you just the model of having only one screen that's a that's a tough yeah, model to 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 get by with sure. anymore um but yeah so danny he runs upstairs past this like dude who doesn't seem to give a shit working concessions to go talk <laughs> to nick the friendly old uh theater manager as you mentioned played by robert prosky who's been like in a million different things i remember him as father cavanaugh yeah. and uh rudy he like helped rudy Ooh, get into yeah. notre dame 
I remember him he's, as um as the the, the dude in Gremlins too. The new <laughs> <Yep. Shit. laughs> amazing. I think of him as the judge in the Natural. He's the like he's like nice. the bad, the bad yeah, guy in the call. Natural. <laughs> That's right. So the theater is just like falling apart, right? It's like a yeah. fucking mess. Like it's trashed, graffiti on the walls and holes and. I guess are they, is he just letting the homeless people wander in? This isn't like Giuliani's Disney New York, you know. <laughs> Times Square is full of uh, porn shops and strip clubs, and yeah, and yeah. it's I still think and it's still awesome. By real, yeah, by by ninety three, I think it was starting to evolve. But surely the script and everything was written with that New York in mind. The New York, yeah. like oh, whatever the eighties or early nineties, right. The New York of big the, or the taxi, New, fucking like taxi drivers. The New York of Ghostbusters <laughs> yeah. too, with the hateful goo flowing underneath the city where everyone was angry yes. all the time. Yes. I love it. Um, so Danny, he finds this old dude, Nick asleep in the projector room. Uh, he wakes him up. Nick like pulls focus and the credits are rolling. The credits were fucking weird. I don't know if either of you guys paused on that. It's like all one font, like uh, across the screen. And well, it stuff. was like, you know there were scumbag one through nine and SWAT SWAT yeah. cops one through six, but all the names of the actors were all female names, which I don't. There oh, must be a story. There must be a story that. behind that. Oh, there was also a credit for man with breasts. There's <laughs> 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 a credit in there. I have no idea. Um, very interesting. Nick is very apologetic to Danny. Danny's like, you know, I've seen the movie six times already. Don't worry about it. Um, you get the, the dynamic that Danny thought that Nick was dead because the he's like running up there in a panic. Like I was worried. You know, yeah. some, I thought something may have happened. It's very weird. Yes. I, I, I felt the same. Um, they discussed that Jack Slater four is opening this coming weekend. It has to be said, sadly that this Austin O'Brien who plays Danny is not much of an actor. Yeah. I, I mean, I hate to say it's it true. like, I, I never blame a kid for not being a good actor. I, I just question how they get cast though. Like what's yeah. his face in uh Jake Lloyd and Jake, Jake the, Lloyd, you know, unless you have a Haley Joel Osment, like sometimes you're asking a lot of a child actor to, to carry a yeah. film. Yeah. The, the echo of um, Jake Lloyd here is kind of weird. Like now that you say that name, I can yeah. see, I could see them as interchangeable people, frankly. <laughs> They're yeah, not, yeah, they're not dissimilar, like looking either just sort of sandy blonde white kid. Yeah. What we're saying is that this, this is no river Phoenix. He's no DiCaprio. This you need guy. A, or you need to keep it as a 15 year old. Like it's just a lot to ask of an 11 year old actor to carry his own yeah. with, you know, yeah. Charles dance or, or any of the dudes who are in this film. We digress. <laughs> <laughs> Nick reveals that he's got a print of Jack Slater for, he invites Danny to come back at midnight to screen it before the official release. Danny is pumped and Nick tells him, all right, well, you got yes. to get off to school now. Now. So wait, what the fuck time is it? I thought it was night. Are they like, sure. he, he mentions you missed half it was the day also. already. Yeah. He said, you're only going to be four hours late. If so you leave what, now, is this a, did he start a screening of this it's movie like, at like nine in the morning or something? Yeah, that's it's Seemingly, weird. It's what he shows the bums <laughs> in the morning to keep them <laughs> occupied, I guess. Here's your meth. Here's your movie. <laughs> meth and a the movie. dynamic is just weird also between Nick and Danny. Yeah, like, I wanted him to be the grandfather or something like a yes. familial relationship would have made far more sense than this is the stranger that runs the skeevy 
movie theater. Yeah, that's exactly in my note. It should have been his grandfather or something. Otherwise, it's just a dude asking an 11 year old to sneak out at midnight to come watch an R rated movie. Yeah. It's a grooming situation. Inappropriate. In, ti- in seedy ass Times Square grooming. That's Holy what it shit. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Now, in a, an older teen, someone 15 plus like a Marty McFly, I think you can feel like, oh, yeah, you can have a relationship with Doc Brown that doesn't yeah. feel. Creepy. And he can he could like work yeah. at the movie Agreed. theater. And that's how we got to know each other and became or, friends. Or you feel like, like he could at least defend himself if it took a turn yeah i don't know it's just <laughs> <A> sexual turn <laughs> yes. if nick came on to yeah. him oh my god <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah nick can't be encouraging the 11 year old to sneak at out like show it at a reasonable time man at put midnight. it on it yeah put it on at six <laughs> so he can be in bed by 8 30 well he's already been showing movies at like eight o'clock in the morning yeah Why not just yeah. do it at 6 a.m the next day or something before you open whatever no it's gotta be midnight it's that's weird. It's weird, man. I feel like it's one of many things that didn't get changed when they changed the age of the character. They're like, well, we'll just leave that crazy old Nick. So in the lobby, there's these cutouts advertising Jack Slater four, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then another one that's introducing Meredith Caprice uh, right. as the co-star in the film. Danny sort of soaks it in. Now, Danny pops out into the middle of rainy ass New York Times Square porno theaters everywhere. There's a sign in front of the movie palace. It's advertising that there's a new multiplex coming soon. Ten screens. It's amazing. Like this in that era, I think that was like the the future. Huge. Amazing, like mega thing. And now it's like if you see a ten screen theater, you're like, oh, only ten screens. <laughs> but um, this was like as we mentioned, this is like right as Times Square is transitioning from like really seedy to Disney World. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of theaters there. Uh, sex theaters, whatever, porno theaters, a lot of theaters advertising, like increasingly violent sounding titles. There was, uh, I saw, I want your blood. She played with fire murder in times square, hot blood, hot blood. I saw a couple others. Your, your blood or mine. (laughs) My favorite head smasher. I wonder what's it about screaming Mimi, which I thought was a good one. Like I'd go see screaming Mimi. That's like a punk band. (laughs) Now we'll cut to school. Danny is uh, learning about Hamlet. The teacher uh, refers to Hamlet as the first action hero. Yeah. And this is, this is Dame Joan Plowright. Yeah. Legendary star of stage and screen who was married to Lawrence Olivier. And her other name is Baroness Olivier since he was Sir, Sir Lawrence. That's right. That's right. That's badass. So she's cues uh, up that Lawrence Olivier's Hamlet. It's so cool. So Danny, he's daydreaming about the Schwarzenegger version of Hamlet, which is pretty fucking great. Like yep. Hamlet's wiping yeah. dudes out with an Uzi, mm-hmm. dropping one-liners. <laughs> I like puffing cigars. <laughs> it actually looks pretty fucking rad. <laughs> like I would yeah. like to have seen that film. Uh, I like to be or not to be, <laughs> not to be. <laughs> just got the dude down. One of the crazy fucking things great. here is that like Danny just wanders into school four hours late and no one bats an eye. Yeah. yeah. Well, he gave a, we find out in a minute, I guess he gave some type of bullshit excuse, I guess when he right, entered school. Right. Cause later on he's back at home, he's watching Looney Tunes. He's watching Wiley e. coyote, like duke it out with the road runner. A uh, mom's on the phone with the school saying, Oh, that's right. That's right. He was sick this morning or something like covering for yeah. him, I guess. And finding right. out that he was uh, ditching. 
that's Mercedes rule playing uh, the mom who uh, I got to say, like, she's hot, dude. <laughs> yeah, she had it going on. Definitely. She was a she was a striking looking woman. Definitely. In that regard, what is mom's job? I think mm-hmm. waitress, given her get up, she looks like she's going to run down to the TGI Fridays and work that that evening shift. I definitely think she's doing food service or a cocktail waitress or something. I okay. think that this is her second job. Probably. I was wondering, like, is she a sex worker in this time period? Mm, no, no, I don't given think her, so. Given her tie and her get up, she looks like she's going to like she either is a, a server. or She works the hostess stand at some restaurant. I imagine she works like a, I think she's working at a hotel bar. <laughs> she kind of confronts Danny, who admits that he was skipping school to go to the movies. Mom's at her wits end. She reveals that she's a widow. She's like saying, you know, like, look, I, this wasn't part of the plan. Like, I didn't plan to be a widow by the time I'm 40, whatever. This is a clunky bit of exposition. Another thread that goes nowhere. Also, like, right. they never explore that he's in search of a father figure or anything right. like that. I think it makes sense in, like, in that he is in search of the father figure with Jack. Like, Jack is his father figure. Like, that, Yeah, I, I didn't feel like right. it needed to be yeah. overly pursued, but, like, it made sense to me. Like, why is this kid so obsessive about movies? What is he finding an escape? I guess from his like shit life. But, um, (laughs) but then once he's there with Jack, like, I don't think I ever felt like a real father son type of bond. It was more just like buddies. It's not a John Connor Terminator type father bond. It's it, it doesn't play out as much as you would maybe hope or expect. So yeah, Danny's mother, she lovingly scolds him and then she heads off to work. Uh, Danny is like, I guess, cut to later that night. He's watching the clock as it's like approaching midnight. It's eleven sixteen. Yeah. Is, is he contemplating not going? Is he like thinking about should I go or should I stay home? And like mom wanted me to. I think I think probably he's maybe an element of both. Okay. But yeah, he's like I think he can't resist the film. I always got the impression that he was like yeah. just counting down the minutes like. It wasn't there yet. And so he kept looking at the clock like, okay, how much, how much longer until I can leave or should I, um, how much longer should I wait before I go? So he's, he's never considering not going. I mean, mom must work late as fuck for him to be able to sneak off to a movie and think he's going to be back before she's home from work. Yeah. Conceivably, he doesn't expect her to get home any earlier than say two 30 in the morning. I was going to say two 30, three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But so he's, he's going to sneak out. Uh, as he goes to leave, there's like a dude passing in the hallway. So he ducks back inside real quick. Then he pops out and like a knifed intruder is there, forces him back into the apartment. That was like a fucking dark hallway. They needed to call that, like the building manager or whatever. Yeah, they need to call the super and tell him <laughs> to get up here. That junkie jumping on him scared me as a child. And it scared me and like the jump scare yeah. caught me by surprise when watching it the other day. Like I still wasn't ready for it, even though I knew it was coming. Yeah. There's a moment when he like he shoves Danny up against the wall and we see that Danny's hands are like all battered and like bruised and cut up evidence of a subplot that was cut out. I think where he's supposed to be getting a lot of fights mm-hmm. and stuff like that at school. I don't know why they cut it out. I guess just to make the film shorter, perhaps it was too much like a never ending story in that regard. Maybe <laughs> it's too much like a good movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you're going to cut all that stuff out, there's almost no reason to even have this scene with the burglar in the film period. It never yeah. is really important to anything that happens going forward. Nope. It almost just adds plot holes that we mm-hmm. might discuss, but, um, 
So now the intruder, he gives Danny a chance to fight back. Why? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. I guess to show that there's some sort of thing within Danny that he has like failure to launch or something like he's, yeah, he can't act. He wants to be like Jack Slater, I guess. That makes sense. But he doesn't have, he hasn't had somebody to guide him. him. No one has shown, no father figure has shown (laughs) him the way to fight junkies. (laughs) He he hasn't showed him how to operate the Griblade. (laughs) Amazing. Um, But yeah, Danny, he's too paralyzed to take the the knife and whatever kill, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Either more or less needed to be made out of the fact though, that Danny struggles to be brave. Yeah. Yeah, like agreed. They they walked a weird line that it just leaves you sort of underwhelmed. Um, then the dude he he takes Danny, handcuffs him to like the pipe underneath the bathroom sink, comes back later and he's like pissed that there's nothing even in the apartment worth stealing. He takes that handcuff key and drops it in the toilet and then leaves. Um, that's almost the point of this whole scene is that Danny needs to have possession of a handcuff key. Right? <laughs> that's yeah. for later yep. in the film. Yep, that's true. Maybe they couldn't cut the scene out because they needed to explain how he got a, a key. That would have been amazing if they if they had cut it out and <laughs> saved like four minutes and then they get to the later part where he's like cuffed mm-hmm. again. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then they had to like dig that piece of shit footage up and throw it back in there. <laughs> totally. But so now later at the police station, there's a detective telling him that his mother wants him to go straight home and she's going to see him after work which is sort of shitty that she's whatever her job is, is that such that she can't leave even though there's a break in and her son was like held at knife point. The, I can her manager looked at her and said, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, these, these drinks aren't going to yeah. run themselves. This, this is New York or, or that <laughs> she's unfortunate enough to have to make that choice. Danny's like watching the clock. It's 1150. Now it's like, this has all happened very fast. He's yeah. finished at the police station, like 30 minutes after the burglary happened. Impossible. Um, Impossible. Wouldn't at the very least, wouldn't a policeman escort Danny home? They're not just going to like push him out the door and say, well, get home safely, kid. It's New York. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. It's a cutthroat yeah. city. It could be one of 50 break-ins that have happened in the past hour. Yeah. If we're thinking about it. So I get, I take it they don't live in a great neighborhood. Um, Danny, uh, he runs through the rain to get to the theater, finds it locked when he gets there. He runs around to the side to like the alley entrance and Nick lets him in. I don't know why, but Nick is dressed in an usher's uniform. Yeah. Full mm-hmm. theater usher uniform. Is he like senile? Is he eccentric? What's going on with Nick? Maybe I started thinking about that while we were talking about, you know, come back at midnight. Maybe he's just like some, he's just a kooky old guy and like, he's just a crazy old wizard. <laughs> Yeah. Or like, I, th- I feel like it, you know, you mentioned Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Yeah. It is. It seems like the kind of thing that you would expect to have that sort of dynamic. But like, yeah, next just weird. Um, There's a long history yeah. of that in films from Back to the Future, Karate Kid, uh, first yeah. Star Wars, but not with usually not with like an 11 year old. That's well, what makes it extra weird. And this isn't like a mentorship relationship either. Like he's not teaching him anything. He's just his yeah. creepy old friend. Yeah. No, it's odd. There's this weird, crazy thing that happens at the very end where Nick mentions seeing Buffalo Bill um, <laughs> and Sitting Bull. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? And so like, you know, Buffalo Bill died in 1917. I looked this yeah. up later on. So how old is Nick? I mean, if we we're to picture that this is 1993. I read someone had done the math. He would have had to have been about 90 ish. Yeah. 
which he, this actor definitely isn't, but he, yeah, he's not yeah, 90. It's like rewrite that. <laughs> yeah. What's a 90 year old man doing obsessing over action films. He's and, so worried. Like he's losing his theater. Yeah. It's like, they, dude, yeah. you're going to be in the ground yeah. soon. So you don't need to worry about that Moment, at all. Momentarily. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like, yeah, Nick starts giving some backstory on himself. And to me, things started feeling ominous. Like, <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to be a magician, but my hands, they're so tiny. It's like, it's a fucking non sequitur, uh, weird non sequitur. There's almost like, like there's a tension in the scene that makes me uncomfortable. It was like, it was like a Lincoln Hawk, Mike Hawk type <laughs> in the truck tension. Yeah. Uh, you can use my shoulder for a pillow if you want. Yeah. We could sit together if you're getting scared during the movie. Yeah. No, I'm okay. Dad. Thanks. Why do I have to, to share this popcorn? Why do I have to be on the movies with you guys where there's an <laughs> uncomfortable adult child <laughs> dynamic? Oh, I think it happens a lot. Yeah, I guess so. It's a common theme. Yeah. The kid, the kid just wants to watch the movie. And then Nick is like, just a minute, young man, are we forgetting something? And like slams the door behind him. And it's like, yeah, it's fucking a little scary. I'm like, what is yeah. about to happen? I don't like this anymore. Uh, Nick tells Danny, he needs, you need a ticket to see the movie kid. And it's just like, it's, it's scary. It's threatening. It's, Danny's never paid to see a movie in that theater once. No, no one has. Now, it's just <laughs> that's, that's, why, that's, the that's problem. why it's going out of business. Yeah. <laughs> He'd make more money. He should have turned it into a porno house. He'd be yeah. doing better. Right. <laughs> Screaming me yeah. should have been playing on the screen instead of Jack Slater. Nick produces this like Willy Wonka style golden ticket. It says he got it as a boy from Harry Houdini by way of India, by way of Tibet. Like I got right. this from the best. He got it from the best magician in India who got it from the best magician in Tibet. The fuck? How many movie okay. theaters do they have in Tibet in like the twenties? Just the one. Not even. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> no fucking chance. That's bizarre. It, yeah, it just didn't need to happen. It's a hell of a lot of weird exposition. <laughs> Houdini, like as a child, who gives a shit about Harry Houdini? Like no one was alive. That's watching yeah. this movie that has seen yeah. Harry Houdini, but it's like a very weird forced. I think that's where the like, you know, tiny hand magician thing has to come <laughs> into play. Like we have to get to Harry Houdini somehow. What if Nick had, but okay. Uh, yeah. Well, are we supposed to then think that like it was Shane black and whoever sitting around being like, you know, how, how in the hell do we tie this together? And they were just like, fuck it. We'll make it Harry Houdini, golden ticket, Willy Wonka. There's like a very, there's just the whole thing. It feels like where the dad finds the Mogwai in Chinatown. It's, like, in Gremlins. Yeah. It's like It feels like an insanely thrown together idea of how do we get this kid into the movie? Like yeah. what, what's the, what's the simplest thing that we can come up with to get this kid in the movie? What if there's a fucking magical ticket? Well, I mean, I feel like I'm fine with the magical ticket idea, but I would have been, I would have felt better and, and ignored it more if it had been like a MacGuffin where like, he just like, found it on the floor. Like if it glittered funny and he found it, it's like, this yeah. is getting way convoluted. Don't, don't try to explain the magic ticket. <laughs> You've made a mistake. That's true. Like it could have just come upon him somehow. Like the ticket chose him, you yeah. know? Or I mean like it's big like is a, big is a good example <laughs> with like him. He just, he just goes to the thing to read his fortune or whatever. Like no one needs any explanation about how the stupid fortune telling machine turns him into like, a, that's true. He could have just wished he could have wished that he was like Jack Slater or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really sl slap shot. Like 
or what skip shot. I don't know what the term is. It's a shitty, it's a fucking <laughs> shitty, it's a fucking there it is, shitty, slap dash. it's a slapdash shitty plot element. But yeah. I like that Nick says this, like the ticket does have a mind of its own. So it is very much like the one ring of sorrow. Except I haven't, I <laughs> like, haven't used it and I don't know anything about it, but it, he's like, I've been yeah, scared. That's true, true. He says it's a passport into another world. I mean, that part's true of regular paper tickets that like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is a passport into a world that does not exist that we get to watch and see and right in front of us. Well, now right. thanks to Nick and Shane Black, we'll never get this like 15 <laughs> minutes of our lives back. <laughs> but so yeah, Nick rips that ticket in half and like, there's some sort of magical little musical chime and uh, maybe some yeah. special effects like sparks fly off the ticket or some, some shit. Blue lightning, which is my favorite. That's your shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the first special effect that they perfected was uh, the, the blue, blue lightning. lightning. Yeah, it is, man. It's always looks cool. <laughs> also, why does, why did the ticket never get used in all the, all the decades that has been floating around? It never paid for an admission to anything. No. That's true. It never was for anything. It was just Houdini's it's never magical been ticket. Used. Maybe it's just the kind of ticket you don't tear. Maybe it's just <laughs> the one you pass from one to another. And, and Nick's when, the, Houdini, when Houdini was grooming Nick, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he had a stash of those tickets. Yeah, it was it. a vaudeville he was house. Into, he was into chains. <laughs> it was a vaudeville house. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Danny goes Roll into the, the auditorium. <laughs> go, Danny goes in the auditorium. Nick fires up Jack Slater for a Franco Columbo film. Uh, Franco Columbo was like one of Arnold's really good friends from the bodybuilding circuit. He was Love in it. like pumping iron, but he was like, he kept winning the lower weight class. Like in a lot of old pictures, you see Arnold Franco's hanging around with him. He was also in a, in, a, cool. he's in a bunch of Arnold films as well. Um, got, Do you think Arnold requested that Franco's name appear on screen? Oh, hell yeah. I think, <laughs> I think Arnold demanded it. <laughs> we got Megadeth playing over the opening credits, which is pretty rad. Mm -hmm. Danny, yeah, yeah. Danny looks fucking orgasmic, like as the credits are rolling. Mm -hmm. Now we we open on a palatial Malibu mansion overlooking the ocean. That place mm -hmm. was the shit, like amazing. Yeah, we got this very Italian gangster guy Vivaldi. He's threatening a character named Frank, telling him you're Jack Slater's favorite second cousin in the whole world. Dude, the second cousin gag makes me chuckle every time someone says the term favorite second cousin. It's pretty good. I dig That's it. That's pretty funny. I don't care for it all that much. Like, really? I think they, I, I think they overused like it. it so much. Like, I think somebody <laughs> in the room thought it was hilarious, and they were like, we yeah. should say this a million times. It's my favorite second cousin. <laughs> It, it was because by by the time Jack Slater four rolls around, how many of his family members, like closer family members, exactly. had died? Like they had yes. gone through yeah. every other familial relation. I love uh, Anthony Quinn's playing Antonio Vivaldi. He talks about his mob rival uh, Torelli, who is like, and those are two names of like famous Baroque composers. Vivaldi oh, I didn't know that Torelli was a composer. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Giuseppe yep. Torelli was also a Baroque era composer. <laughs> That's so good. And they're rivals. Nice. So they were yeah. rivals then and, and rivals now. I, d I don't even know if they knew each Their other. Their lives the might not have even overlapped, to be honest. Right, exactly. They didn't know each other existed at the time, uh, probably. That's great. And it's awesome to see like two Oscar winners sharing the screen here. It's rad. Vivaldi says he wants to know what Slater knows about his evil plan. And Frank is saying, I, he doesn't know anything. Meanwhile, a bullet like rips through this target that is for some reason next to his head. Uh, the yeah. gunman is this guy, <laughs> Benedict, a very posh Englishman with a glass yes. eye. Charles Dance 
Love him. He's fucking killing it in this movie. I saw yeah. where they had wanted Rickman. The part was written for Rickman. That would have worked. And Rickman wasn't interested. I, maybe he didn't get it. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to do the same role. Yeah. And then they wanted to give it to Timothy Dalton, which would have also been a good piece of casting, I think. That would have been awesome, mm-hmm. too. I could totally see him like crushing this. But no one would have done it any better than dance, I don't think. Benedict makes this like snide comment under his breath. It shows that he doesn't really respect Vivaldi at all. Well, it's like Vivaldi is supposed, I guess English is a second or third language keeps making these malaprops. And so throughout the movie, every time he does, Benedict is like rolling his eyes and saying what it should be. So in yeah, so, doesn't I, respect him. I think the point, like in so many of these action movies, Roadhouse, shining example, like the main villain is just a buffoon. It's yeah. like, how did you rise to the point that you're the big bad guy it, it was an inheritance he didn't have to he didn't have to Nepotism. actually be any good it was nepotistic mob he was just he was vivaldi senior's son yeah uh now vivaldi sort of confides to benedict that he's he's led frank basically to believe that he's going to be joining forces with the other mob boss torelli right uh but in reality he's just told him that because he wants to i guess he figures the word to work its way back to to Jack Slater and it's all part of Vivaldi's big plan to like consolidate power. I do like in the theater, Danny is fucking like delighted by all this. He's like, Oh, you are going to (laughs) pay. That's fucking, I mean, I feel like that that's me sometimes in the theater when I'm just like chilling by myself, like just get super excited about the fucking plot. Oh yeah. Now at this beautiful like cottage home in Los Angeles, police are about to do a raid at, I guess this is Frank's house. Yeah. What is going on? They don't have a warrant or anything, right? Like they just mentioned that they got an anonymous tip. We got an anonymous tip. Yeah. That's not how that shit works. You don't just go kick in the doors because <laughs> you got a tip. I do like the little bit of dialogue where he's like, it doesn't look like a drug house. And then the other guy's like, what do you want? Guys on the front lawn throwing cocaine at each other? <laughs> That's pretty good. Slater rolls up in his like beautiful 1969 Pontiac Bonneville convertible uh, with the delivery of groceries for cousin Frank. Slater tells the men to stop, you know, but something is definitely like suspiciously amiss here. Yeah. The cops say that, you know, whatever, we got a, a, a tip that there's drugs going on in this house. Slater goes to like kick the door down out of habit. It seemed like, which is pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like, have a key to the door. <laughs> or I can at least just try the knob first. I wish that they had made Canon presents Jack Slater yeah. like, oh, throughout the whole on thing. The opening credits. <laughs> it does feel like some Canon films. films. <laughs> That's awesome. I think it would have been great if Jack had been going around the whole movie, just kicking down every door <laughs> that he came to. That would have that been awesome. Yeah. Um, that would have been a good, a good bit. So Jack walks in, he finds Frank. He's like bound to a chair inside. Uh, Frank tells Jack that Vivaldi is joining forces with that other crime family. Just like he was supposed just to. Just like he was supposed to. Then he says, I'm out of here and expires. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just dies. <sighs> this okay. is, at this point, I feel like you're either on board with what this movie is or you're not like as an, as an audience watcher in 1993. Um, but in 1993, I think people were not on board with what they were watching here. They're like, I don't get it. This is terrible. I think that the way that it was marketed, like it appealed to me, like I wanted to see it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is not a but, kid's movie. No, it's not. Yeah, it's it's not the family. It's too smart or it's they dumbed it this, down so much, but it's a smart concept, right? This movie was not even for us. This movie was made for us now. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. was made for for people who had seen every action movie since 
like for the yeah. past 10 years or 20. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, with like, even with some of the stuff we've already talked about, like the movies in the background and the CD New York, um, there's so much that's like just problematic that I was watching and I was like, I, I missed a bunch of this stuff as a kid, but like, this is, this yeah, was not, definitely. this was not appropriate for me to be watching. Um, there's hookers on every street corner and screaming memes in the background. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. It, it was marketed as like a, a family friendly kid action movie, more like another film that I watched a ton as a kid cop and a half with Burt Reynolds, where, uh-huh. where he has like a little kid sidekick, um, who witnessed a crime. Like that was actually a, like a family movie. Was um, it good? Oh, Cop no, and a half? no, no. <laughs> I found myself watching it. Did you guys remember the movie Sidekicks? Oh, yeah. With, with Chuck like, Norris. Yeah, Jonathan Brandis and Chuck Norris. Yeah. And the, the kid yes. was like a bullied, whatever. And he. Yeah. As my kids. He'd sink into like Chuck Norris world, like where he was Chuck's sidekick. Like that movie did this type of premise right for a family. Yeah, audience. It made more sense yeah. for a family audience. Yeah. This movie should have gone for an R rating and just been the smart movie that it needed to be, I think. Yeah. But it is what it is. <laughs> it turned out how it, yeah. turned, it out. turned out, how it turned out. Uh, so what Frank has died now pinned to his shirt. There's a note that says Slater and these numbered cards counting down, which again, just another completely ludicrous. I love this like, part plot thing. No, it's, it's amazing. It's like, this is the part of the movie that's where it's really working for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. where it's gone, like cranked it up to 11. Where, yeah, yeah. Where it's taken the trope and and exactly and pumped it full of steroids it it's these moments that make the movie totally work it's the other like other parts of it where it's just like it just it was like one step too far it didn't fully realize the idea or one step too short yeah it's right. like yeah, yeah exactly anything exactly. that tries to be actually enough. realistic it's like no that doesn't belong here <laughs> yeah but anyway slater he sees the countdown he screams out it's a bomb comes running out the whole house goes up Amazing explosion, almost just like Dixie's house in Lethal Weapon, which I think was a spectacular explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in the theater, Danny is like assessing the situation. He's like, he's okay. Minor wound, both cops dead. Yeah, (laughs) it's awesome. It's funny that you mention it because like the Lethal Weapon thing that you just said, like the guy in the tree... Two days till retirement. Two days till retirement. And then you get that like saxophone sting in the background. Yeah, that was like the lethal weapon, like, uh, lethal weapon homage. <laughs> and the same composer, so which like there are musical Easter eggs galore in this movie, yeah, which is absolutely yeah. brilliant. This, yeah, this scene is where the movie's like living up to the potential of what it can be. Right. Uh, we get a bright red, like cherry red classic pickup truck comes tearing ass down the street full of armed gunmen. Fucking Al Leong. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It's so good. You want to see every recognizable henchman in a movie like this. Uh, Jack hops in his car and the chase is on. Bad guys like have a crate of dynamite. <laughs> Acme. Acme dynamite. Acme dynamite. dynamite. Yeah. Straight up fucking Looney Tunes. They're throwing it forward, which seems especially reckless to me. <laughs> Yes. I'm going to light this explosive and then throw it in the path that I'm about to continue on. You got to do a Terminator style where you're dropping it on them, like from in front of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, In the movie theater, unknown to Danny, the movie ticket is like started to glow in his pocket. Right. This Jack's like shooting a bundle of dynamite out of the air, which seems like it would make the dynamite blow up, but it doesn't. That's what I would think. (laughs) It just makes the dynamite. It flies through the screen and into the movie theater auditorium. Danny is very confused. <laughs> Understandably. Yeah. I dig it. Uh, we get another look at those fucking battered hands, man. 
Yeah, without this it, is where I made the note. I was like, what the hell is up with his hands? It's without an explanation. It seems like he's just like covered in lesions or has fucking got <laughs> leprosy or something, you know? Yeah. Th- if, when I first saw it, I was like, <laughs> is that like, is it supposed to be indicative of the fact that they're like really, really poor? Oh, and, yeah. And like, like not clean. And that's sort of where my mind yeah. went when I saw it again. Mm, dark. <laughs> the darkest timeline. <laughs> uh, He's like calling out. Danny's calling out for Nick. He's like, uh, Nick, hello. Then the dynamite is like rolling towards him. So he gets up and he runs towards the screen as the dynamite explodes. As an 11 year old, would it have occurred to you to like try to bend down and and like put the fuse out, like extinguish the fuse? So he throws the popcorn bucket on it and you hear it right. kind of go pss, like like go yeah. out. So I I remember thinking like he had put it out with the popcorn, but like. Then it explodes. <laughs> it does explode. It flings him like, I guess, through the screen because right. Danny awakens. He's in the back seat of uh, Jack Slater's convertible and the fucking movie has taken a turn. <laughs> Took a giant turn. <laughs> a big left turn. Uh, I think we've been talking for a minute. <laughs> we have. That's a long act one. And now we're ready it to is. get into what the movie is actually supposed to be about. But it's, I don't know. It's engaging. No, I'm like... like I'm like watching it getting and I was like, yeah, I'm into it. It's a movie. It becomes more intriguing the deeper and deeper you get into the film for sure. Yep. Oh man. I need a drink. I guess we should leave it there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We should uh, recharge our batteries. Yes. Lubricate our mouths and uh, we'll see you guys next time. We'll be back. Happy